Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MCG Rants. I'm Tannen Grace, as always, that's Ross Merriam, and we're brought to you by Barrister and Man. That's man of two ends, so make sure you check out their website, barristerandman.com. And uh, yeah, that was my dog. I don't know if you heard that in the background. Um, I am in we're sunny also Baton sponsored Rouge. by Benny. Yeah, we're also sponsored by Benny. I am in sunny Baton Rouge right now. It's 3.40 p.m., so uh, 4.40 p.m. on a Thursday for Ross. And the weather right now, if you're anywhere near the this area of the country, is literally perfect. It's like 70-something degrees outside and sunny, and my dog is just begging to go outside all day, every day. And, like, she just came inside so I could record, and she's looking out the window, looking at me and crying. <laughs> well, I can tell you, Tannen, that the weather is also perfect here. Again, like, yeah. mid to upper 70s and sunny. Yeah, so you're wearing a jacket. Yeah. Yeah, I, I so Tuesday, here, here's my story of, of why I'm wearing sure. this BCW jacket. Uh, so Tuesday, uh, it was raining all day. In Roanoke, we had rain all day Tuesday and Wednesday, right? And so I wore a jacket so that you know during my brief trip from the Uber to inside SCG when I sure. went in to do verses, uh, you know I wouldn't get the T-shirt that the coalesce shirt I was wearing wet. Uh, and then I of course uh, promptly forgot that jacket in the studio, and so I just told the director like leave it there, I'll pick it up Thursday. But so I walked out today to uh because it was nice and sunny so i did my normal pre versus routine of walk to the waffle house which is like you know a third of the way from of my mile and a half walk to scg so i take a stop there get some breakfast and finish the walk and uh i walked outside just in my t-shirt and jeans and i was like wow it's actually like kind of chilly but i really like this like it's perfect it's just it feels a little chilly because i've been so used to summer weather but it was it was the literal first day where i walked outside and thought Oh, I probably should have put a jacket on. And then I remembered I'd left my jacket at SCG, so now I have it on. Uh, but I, uh, I'm, I'm so looking forward to this weather. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. This weather is utterly amazing right now. It's some of my favorite time of the year. Like, if I was still super into it, I'd be playing golf as much as possible right now. This is literally perfect golf, golf, golf weather. It's perfect golf weather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, Jared Goff loves the weather too, Tanner. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> But it's like it's like that time of year, like you can still wear a short sleeve shirt, but you can like wear a pair of pants comfortably, and like you know you're just out there and stuff. And it's like you're not sweating your balls off and stuff. Yeah. Like D- yeah. during the day, you're comfortable in basically anything. At night, you probably need a jacket. Yeah, speaking a light of jacket. Su- yeah, speaking of sweating, I've actually been sweating baseball like an absurd amount in the last two weeks. So right now, I'm in the finals of uh, I made the playoffs in two of the four leagues that I played in this year. Um, we won't talk about the other two. I was not very competitive, but in. <laughs> In two of them, I made the finals, and uh, so I'm having to, like, sweat those like crazy right now. Um, one of them involves a bunch of, like, big-name Magic players, which is really great, so it's nice to have bragging rights in there. It's got, like, Paul Rietzel in it, Eric Froelich. It's so, had, so who um, is your finals opponent? Um, I'm not sure of the per- it's like a It's like a person I don't think I know. Okay. I, I beat Sperling in the first round. Nice, uh, nice. Yeah, the, the person who made Cardboard Live is in there. You know, there's a lot of, you know, Wilson Hunter. A lot of people uh, at home might know that name uh, and stuff. So, like, a lot of, you know, we've, ha- we've had Matt Sperling in the group and stuff. So, a lot of cool, f- fun trash talk goes on in there. Um, in both of the leagues, I'm playing against Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And if that means that somebody, somebody he's, the, he's the best hitter in baseball. Like, he's the number <laughs> one offensive player. And rightfully so, those players are in the finals. Uh, my finals opponent also has the number one pitcher. Uh as well uh but he had what might be one of his worst starts if not his worst start of the year during our playoff thing and i was already favored going into the finals so i think i'm gonna win one of them and then the other one is uh that's that dynasty league i've talked about you know where we have like minor leaguers you've built your team up for years and years and years 
Um, I've got that team uh, in the finals, but my opponent also has Vlad, also has like Juan Soto and like a bunch. Like his team's just very, very. Like he's going to be very hard to beat over the next five years. And uh, I'm in a little bit of a hole, but like I don't know, maybe I can you know get lucky. We play we play two weeks in that final, so that one's going to be difficult. I'm trying to make some stuff happen. I might be able to like you know cheese him out, like doing some weird strategy or whatever. But I, I like pretty much have to beat him in all the pitching categories, and he's got me in one of them right now. So we'll have to figure it out. But let's try to beat him in steals and pitching. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to try to like exactly like I steal more than he does, and you know, I'll try to get that one that one offense category. But he's already got multiple, and I have zero, so it's like really annoying. My guys just aren't running, maybe because a lot of my guys are on playoff teams, and it's like getting close to the playoffs and they're clinching. So like. This is one thing that's really annoying in playoffs in fantasy sports is like sometimes your yeah. players sit during the playoffs because the the season is nearing the end, so that's pretty annoying. So like hopefully we can we can pull something out there. Um, that that team is going to be very interesting. I have a a very interesting off season coming up in that league with me and one other like Mike Trout might be a free agent in our league going into next year because his his salary is just getting too big. So the the person just his salary is going to be over a third of the over a third of the amount that were allotted for our team. And yeah. that team that he's on was, like, last place this year, which, I mean, obviously Trout didn't play very much this year, but I don't think it would have made a big enough difference. You get what I'm saying? So, like, they need to do a lot of stuff to happen. And, like, um, so I am one of the richest teams in the league, meaning I have some of, the like, the most money available. So I'm going to be going hard after that next year. So it's going to be an interesting spot or whatever. But uh, that might be enough. Uh, that might be enough baseball I, uh... for... I unfortunately took fifth in my fantasy baseball league where four teams make the playoffs. Mm -hmm. There was one team that was well ahead of everyone over the course of the season. Their roto numbers didn't look as good. I think they just kind of ran a little bit hot. like you know, Yeah, it's part of it. Yeah, yeah. In, in the weeklies. Uh, but they were just, you know, 10, 20 games ahead of, of second place. And then there were four teams that, you know, at were separated by maybe five games between all four of them. So two through five was just very tight. And I ended up coming out fifth of the of those four teams. My team was built around pitching. My pitching was great. I think going into August, I think after July, my I did, my team's ERA on the season was under three. Yeah, it's really good. And and I think my ERA in August, which is the the, the home stretch of the regular season for fantasy baseball, and then you you do your playoffs in September at the end of the MLB regular season. But my home stretch, uh, that last month, I think my team ERA was like four point five. Gross. <laughs> like they, yeah, like so. My pitching imploded, and my hitting stayed yeah. the same, mediocre. And even though I had a pretty favorable stretch of matchups, I just like didn't win them, and uh, yeah. ended up fifth. Yeah, no, like definitely. I will say this: uh, one thing that's getting lucky, the league that I think I'm, I'm the league where I have a lead in the finals, and like I, I'm very, definitely favored to win. Uh, I have two Braves hitters on my team, obviously, but they're very good. I have like Freddie Freeman and Austin Riley, both of which are going to finish in like the top ten MVP, MVP voting this year. Like they're both going to hit like. For, for people at home that know a little bit, they're both going to be 300 hitters with 30 home runs, 100 RBIs, like 100 runs, like just solid across the board, like very, very good picks. But uh, they're finishing up a four-game series with the Arizona Diamondbacks right now, and they've won the first three games, and they're winning the fourth one as we speak, three to nothing. And my guys have just been torching the ball. And I was like, this is so lucky for me to get this matchup during the playoff with two of my hitters because yeah, if you, if you know anything about baseball, you're the Diamondbacks are not good, <laughs> like very, very bad. And it's a pretty good hitters ballpark. So they're just, they're just mashing. So it's really nice. Uh, Freddie Freeman is currently hitting 303 on the season with 31 home runs, 116 yeah. runs, 82 RBIs and eight steals. Yeah. He's, he's, is, he's opportunistic. Yeah. He, he's faster than he looks. You know what I mean? He's one of those like big lanky dudes that doesn't look super athletic, yeah. but like him, he, he him throwing in eight steals is that's just, that's just bonus. Yeah, a little uh, lanyap as as we call it down here. A little little bit extra, you know. Yeah. Um, 
Speaking of a little bit extra, I know that we talked about this, uh, what was it, last week we talked about my trip to Vegas and doing the Flesh and Blood uh, event, right? The, the, yeah. the Flesh and Blood for everybody at home, GP, it's called a calling. Well, there's three more of those this year, and after my, uh, I guess you could use the word performance in, in Vegas, you know, after showing that I wasn't going to implode or be bad, or they've asked me to do the next three, so like all of the events this year. So awesome. I'm pretty excited about Congrats. that. Yeah. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm like super excited See, about that. It's, I told uh, you you were going to crush it. Yeah, I was like, I was nervous because there's like certain spots where I was going to be kind of exposed where like my, my inadequacies would be exposed. But we did a very good job of like covering that up or I did an okay job of steering the conversation away from that or just, you know, being quiet, <laughs> you know, you know, that kind of stuff. So like imagine trying to cover a magic tournament when you've played other games, but never played magic. And then like you come in and you're like, all right, well, what are like the top decks in the format? And they like give you like eight decks and you're like, okay, well. Uh, with the amount of time, I learned the top four. So hopefully, and like a little bit of like, you know, the fifth and sixth ones, hopefully the seventh and eighth deck don't show up on camera. And then like that happened. Like one of the decks showed up on camera. And I was like, I, I know like one card of this deck. I don't know what any of these cards do. So I'm like, when the camera's on me, I'm frantically on my phone, like shifting through, you know, a visual spoiler, like trying to talk about the cards, et cetera. So, but, uh, you know, I'm excited about that. That's going to be cool going forward because... Like I said, they're, they've been pretty good at their, uh, you know, making sure that we're safe, making sure that we feel safe at these events. You know, I work and then eat and then go to, like, leave pretty much. And, you know, everyone's wearing masks. And speaking of that, there was a pretty cool announcement today, Ross. And I know you're pretty excited about it that uh, SCG put out. Yes, I'm very, very excited. I know uh, SCG took a lot of flack from me included uh, for their initial policy for this upcoming uh, invitational an SCG con where they were only going to require masks and weren't going to require proof of vaccination or negative test results. Um, and, it, you know, for an event of that size being held indoors with people traveling from different parts of the country, that just, it just wasn't responsible. So fortunately well, the community was there to shame them. Uh, and now, uh, you know, they literally, I have it on Facebook from an hour ago, uh, that they have updated their policy and are requiring one or the other, either proof of vaccination or a negative test result. Um, and, and within, and the negative test has to be within 72 hours and it has to be administered or under the supervision of a medical professional. So if you get some sort of like at home test that, that won't fly. Um, and the, for vaccination, you have to be, get your second dose at least two weeks before the event. So yeah. you, you 14 know. days, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. So if you're, if you're going to be, you need to start doing it now. Cause you're gonna be cutting it close if you haven't done it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and you don't do the second shot until three weeks after the, the first dose. So if you, if you haven't started it now, if you're, well, you'd have to do it like literally like today. <laughs> yeah. Right? I, I didn't know the exact timing. Cause yeah. I'm, I'm not so, going to this event. I wasn't, I was not planning to go to the yeah. event. If I wanted to now, like it's probably too difficult. Plus I need to check my availability. That, that was another reason, um, you know, we, you and I talked about this on the show and I was kind of candid about it. I was like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go or not. I knew the the flesh and blood thing was a possibility. Like I'd already had conversations. So I was like, I hadn't checked to, to make sure, but you know, that's four events where I'm out of town on the weekends. It like throwing in another one is something that I might not do, you know, kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we'll see. It's, it's a lot of like uh, the, the callings coming up. You know, we still got like a couple weeks until the next one, but then I, th I think it's like it's either three out of four weekends or three weekends in a row where I'm just like I'm having to fl like fly to a place, so it's going to be kind of like I was competing again, you know. And I'm like, I don't know if my body's ready to deal with that again, but we're gonna try. <laughs> we're we're gonna go for it. I got some very interesting flights I'm gonna be a part of. <laughs> like oh. in one of them, 
uh, I'm really worried about it. But I talked to the director already and he said it's okay. Uh, in one of them, like the only reasonable flight for me to get home for something that I needed to do that Monday, I have to leave. My flight leaves at like 6.30 on Sunday. And we finished a little before that time at the last calling. And I don't know if that's like going to be consistent of where it's going to whatever. But like I might have to miss like I might not even be there for like the last round or two of the top eight. Like I might not even be in the building. Like I might just have to go <laughs> and be like, hopefully the other two don't have a problem with that. Cause like, I need to, I need to ask him who else is working there and be like, guys, you, you have to be there for the last couple rounds. Cause I have to leave. Like I've already booked my flight. Like I can, I can change it if I absolutely have to, but I was like, I don't really want to have to do one of those like 4am flights or 5am flights and then yeah. still probably not do what I'm, I'm supposed to do that Monday. You know, the, all those kind of things. So that's, oh, that's yeah. going to be interesting. You want to just leave and get home and, and mm-hmm. do your thing. But yeah, I'm, I'm mainly excited because this would have been the only tournament that, I, that I'd be going to, and I don't have to travel, which is nice. But yeah. if, if they did not change this policy, if they had went forward with just masks uh, and everything else is fine, I, I wasn't going. I had already made up my mind. I just I wasn't going to go, which would be, you know, really shitty for have have the tournament that is, you know, run by my de facto employer yeah. And run, you know, a probably two miles from where I live, as opposed to the, like, I guess, literal it, walkable for you. If you yeah. yeah. Um. And, and so, uh, you know, I, I wanted to be able to go, but if it wasn't safe, I wasn't going to. Now, you know, it feels relatively safe. I still, you know, I'm I'm gonna try not to, you know, uh, hang out a ton. I'll probably try to go outside a lot between rounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just I not, do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and obviously, be, can, you know, obviously, yeah, be well masked up the entire time. But now I actually, it's now I've got to figure out what I want to play. <laughs> now I actually have to like do things and uh, uh, and you know uh, prepare for a tournament. I, so so uh, it'll be the you know first you know paper Magic tournament I've played in oh almost two years a year, a year twenty months or so. It's kind of yeah. exciting in a little way. Um, I'll tell you this one piece of advice for you and for people at home listening. If you do go, this is going to be like your you know your first event in forever. You're going to be in your mask for at least 10 to 12 hours a day. If you're just there the whole day playing everything. Yeah. So word of advice, if you're doing it, especially if you're doing what Ross is doing, give yourself a break. Like, especially if you're going to eat, go outside, go away from some people, sit by yourself for a minute and just take your mask off for like a few minutes. Like find somewhere where it's, it's safe for you to do so and give your ears and your face a rest. Because like things happen. Like um, I'm, I'm bad about this. I've, I've read these studies that it can make you involuntarily like clench your, your jaw when you're wearing a mask, especially if they're a little bit on the tighter side, depending on how they fit. And you can have some problems with that. Like I've definitely had days where at the end of the day where I've had my mask on for 12 hours. And I'm like, man, this like my face hurts. My ears hurt. And I have like, I bought the, I really highly recommend anybody at home that you don't have like a heavy duty mask, like a really good one for an event like this. I really, really, and I'm I'm not sponsored in any way. uh, But I really recommend the featherweight mask from Under Armour. Make sure you like, they have a, a thing on there to tell you like to measure your face from one spot to here. And I'll tell you what size to wear, but they are the best mask I've ever worn for this kind of stuff because a they're the, the least like constricting. If if you get what I'm saying, like they don't pull on your ears very much. It's very, you know, it's it almost feels like it's wrapped around your head, which those are a little bit better for like tugging and stuff. Yeah. But the other thing that's great is the amount of space between your mouth and the front of the mask is literally perfect. At least it has been for me. And when I talk through it, I don't feel like I sound different. I don't feel like I have a dif- difficulty talking. I don't feel like I'm inhaling my mask sometimes. So, you know, if you're at a magic tournament, you're going to be, you're going to need to talk a lot during your games and like, you know, communicate with your opponent. So wearing a comfortable mask that's safe and 
uh, like usable, you know, just like functional for this kind of thing is very important. So make sure you look into that. They usually take about like five to seven days to show up. So like maybe think about that as well when you're hearing yeah. it. My my thing, you know, I wear a mask for maybe four hours at a time on days I'm doing verses. And at the end of them, I can get some like pinching behind my ears from the mask tugging, tugging it forward uh, and some discomfort there. But yeah, look for for twelve hours. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a slog. But yeah, now I get to now I get to play a fucking magic tournament. Yeah, I'm like I'm actually pretty excited for you, honestly. Yeah. I, I'm I'm wondering like how long it took them to make the decision that we're gonna change this, and then you know then they gotta get the details set and, and craft the announcement. So there, there's definitely some lag here. Like the, this decision was probably made probably towards the beginning of this week, I would guess. And I, I want to I wanted to say that actually like I wanted to bring that up because a lot of people there's a um what's the word there's like a discourse going on on Twitter here no not the discourse on Twitter <laughs> magic magic Twitter but uh an MTG Twitter there's a discourse going on because the timing of this is is uh, suspicious for people who maybe don't know how companies work or like this kind of stuff works behind it. and like about three hours before this announcement Channel Fireball made an announcement about a magic tournament that's going to be going on in Las Vegas. Uh, later this year it's november 19th or 21st the only reason i remember that is because uh it's my birthday that weekend i'm i'm a november 20th baby and uh i'll tell you this the tournament looks great uh they have the same same stuff as scg they're they're doing masks they're doing uh the the same restrictions that scg is doing you have to show a covid test uh negative test or you have to have a vaccine uh card and a lot of people are like retweeting this, like tagging SCG and like, you know, hey, SCG, this is this is how you should do it, et cetera, et cetera. Their tournament structure looks really cool, too. It's got a, um, a modern event and a limited event. And I think there's twenty five thousand dollars paid out from both of them. It's pretty much like a GP. It's very much like a GP. Obviously, there's no organized play attached to this. But I mean, we're all hankering for this kind of thing, right? Like we're whatever. And it's also it's in Vegas. So like that's pretty cool, too. You know, um, it seems like Vegas is going to be like pretty much like their hometown thing. It's probably easy for them to you know transfer their stuff back and forth. You know, uh, you know they don't they don't have terms in their home base kind of like Roanoke does. But this seems like a pretty cool thing. You know, you're guaranteed to get a good pe- good people there. And a lot of people were thinking that SEG made this announcement because of the Channel Fireball announcement. And I'll tell you this: if that was the actual thing, I think it takes at least 24 hours. I think you wait, you you don't see it till tomorrow. And I don't think there's like any way that this I'm not saying there's no way it didn't move the needle in some way, but like you said, this is a decision that SCG definitely came to before the last three hours. Like, there's no way that they saw this and they're like, well, we have to do this now. No, they, they've they had the best interest of their players in mind. They've been listening to everybody else. They've been making decisions. With SCG taking this long to have any kind of in-person event, there's no way they weren't at least considering this before this announcement from Channel Fireball. Do you kind of agree with that line of thinking? Yeah, and and with the backlash that they received, and people saying, "Well, I'm not going to show up if, unless you do this. I'm not going to, you know, the, the, you know." Uh, unfortunately, like I, I assume there was a, a monetary element to, to this decision because they're a business, and that's how it works. I wish the world didn't work that way, but <laughs> but that um, is definitely how it works. Yeah. Um, so I'm happy they they changed it. I assume you know I I. Didn't, I assume there are some people that might think I have, you know, any amount of inside information as to what goes on with SCG, and I just and you don't. you do not. Yeah, no, <laughs> no one tells me anything. Um, <laughs> Rightfully so. Yeah, yeah, nor should they. So, you know, uh, I find out things when, when everyone else does, and, you know, I'm, I'm glad they made the change. I wish they had the foresight to just announce this from the beginning, um, I, and I'm disappointed in them that, that they didn't have that. Um, 
but at, at least the, the you know the correct thing is happening now and now i get to look forward to you know safely seeing people i haven't seen in quite a while um and, and having a good time and playing some fucking magic so yeah man i'm excited for you and like i'm at the point where i i want to like vicariously live through you if you can so i'm gonna like help you prepare for the event and like chat with you you know you and brendan and i have already been having some chats in our uh our Facebook chat that everybody knows the name of, you know, get uh, team, get Tana and a trophy <laughs> yeah. or whatever, which is hilarious how that happened. I, did, did we ever tell the story of how that became like a public thing? Do you remember how it happened? No. <laughs> so, um, I, I was trying to get a hold of you or Brennan. I can't remember who it was. It was like, there's two of us and the third was gone. I'm the only one I knew for sure was in, was in, was in involved because obviously I would know where I am. And Ryan overturned Phoenix and asked him a question, and he like needed the other person, or I needed the other, per- you know, what I mean, we needed the third person on the group. Yeah. So I pulled up my phone, I pulled up the uh, the Facebook group that we have, and I was just like, "Hey, where are you? Maybe I was trying to get both of you." And you know, Ryan wasn't trying to like peek on my phone or anything, but he just like you know, you know, what it is. And someone pulls up a phone in front of your face, and you're both in, looking in the area. You're gonna look at the phone for a second, and he saw the name of the group, and he goes, "He goes, hold on a second. And I'm like, "What?" He goes, "Is the name of your Facebook group Team Get Tan and a Trophy or whatever?" And I'm like, "Yes." <laughs> And he's just like, I'm using that. That's great. And so <laughs> that's how it got. Uh, that how that's how it got to be in public. So yeah. I accidentally gave us the name. Well, so we, we had the name before then, but you you publicized it. That's what I mean. I, abs- or, at least yeah. you, you leaked yeah. it. You leaked it to the press. There we go. Actually, we that's go. what that's what you did. Yeah. There we go. So, um, but yeah. So th- that's how that happened, or whatever. Um. Real quick, I was like, gonna, I was like clicking on some stuff. I know it sounded like I was stuttering, but uh, yeah. So like, I'm I'm going through this again real quick. So it looks like, oh, this is a pretty cool thing too. And I know it's like the competitor to your, to your, um, the company that employs you. But I wanted to talk about this for like another second too. The event that's going on in Vegas, in case people don't have Twitter and haven't seen this yet, the modern main event. Uh, both of these are is sixty dollars, and that starts Friday, and it's eight rounds of modern. All players at least 18 match points. That means six and two or better. Advance to Saturday. Saturday is six rounds of modern, followed by a single elimination top eight. Okay, so that's pretty cool, right? $25,000 prize pool. Uh, let me see if I can get the distribution. I saw the distribution at some point, but I'll get to that in a second. But if you play that and you don't make day two, or if that's not your bag, Saturday has a, has another $25,000 prize pool event. It's $80. It's eight rounds of Crimson, uh, I'm sorry, of Innistrad Crimson Val sealed. Uh, and then same thing, six and two or better Sunday, six rounds. And then, uh, I'm assuming Sunday you're going to, I guess, get a new sealed. That's usually the way it is. You usually don't play the same deck on day two that you do in day one. So you're probably yeah. get sealed again. And then, um, it doesn't actually, well, hold on. It says six rounds of booster draft followed by a single elimination. Oh, so we're going to do two drafts. Like, it looks like you'll do two drafts. All right. So they're going to follow that, uh, not the team one. That's that's more the way we did this in individual events back yeah. in the day. But then, like, towards the end, they realized it was much more... Uh, it was better for time to do another sealed on Sunday. Because, like, yeah. you, you cut it in half. They're you know, basically you just it. running a, a G, two GPs. Yeah, they're running two GPs. $25,000 prize pool. Uh, nothing nothing to scoff at here. I'm trying to see if I can find the, the breakdown of the prize pool. Because it was... It was pretty cool. Um, they're going to have special guests, it looks like. They, don't have, they haven't announced it yet. But it is going to be all days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And uh, there is no same-day main event registration, so you need to register ahead of time, et cetera, et cetera. But again, all the same rules. So uh, if you were wondering when we're going to start pulling out of this for Magic, here you go. You've got some events to play in. 
and some cool stuff to do. So you got some you got some choices. What are the dates for the the Roanoke one? Do you have it in front of you? It's Halloween weekend. It's Halloween. Oh, so it's the end of October. So you could do both if you're really into this kind of stuff. You know, if you want to if you want to start getting your travel on, there you go. You know, you got you got some great stuff. Uh, a lot of great events going on at SCG. Probably a few more across the board. I know there's a flesh and blood event going on at the SCG event. So a lot of cool things for you to do there. That's also on the East Coast. If you're not, you know, you don't want to travel all the way to the other side of the country. If it, you know it's drivable for you, it's not that bad of a drive. So a lot of really good opportunities to play some paper magic and in a safe environment from two great companies coming up. So make sure you check that stuff out for for both of them. Uh, and if this isn't for you, don't feel bad about it. You'll have more chances next year if you feel like, you know, this isn't safe enough for you, you know, kind of stuff. So, and, and no one should make anyone feel bad about that kind of thing. So lots of cool things coming up for everybody. Um, speaking of upcoming paper magic events for us, we've had some non-paper magic events going on over the weekend. And Innistrad, this new set, it's been making uh, quite a bit of a splash in uh, the standard. But I will say this. After looking at a lot of the results in standard so far, and we'll, we'll get to some of the other formats too. I know you wanted to talk about Pioneer and stuff. Yeah, but let's start with standard. Yeah, let's start with standard. The, the card that you and I thought would kind of define standard has definitely, definitely defined standard so far, and that's Ezekiel's Chariot. Yeah, um, you know, to me, it was actually a, a pair of cards. I thought it was going to be Chariot and Goldspan, and it's been more Chariot and Ren and Seven. Yeah. And uh, that's Which a, we kind of missed, by the way. Go ahead. We, yeah, we, uh, to be honest, like I, I didn't play a ton with it on versus, and like I understood. Yeah, it's really cool if you get to go chariot and then run in seven and then crew chariot and attack. And you know, to me, that seemed like okay. That like that's that's really good. I agree. But you know, I thought Goldspan would just be a better card by itself. And um, what I I think what ended up happening is. You know, I underrated the the mulch ability on Ren, and the and that's just the value of hitting all of your land drops because in these mid range mirrors, you end up have you you almost never run out of stuff to do. So the more like the more land drops you make, the just yeah. the more you're doing every time. Yeah. Your shadow skull smashings are bigger. You're double spelling more more often, but you're still drawing a bunch of cards. You're always getting to your all runs epiphany turn on time. All of these all of these things end up being really relevant just in mid range on mid range mirrors. So it was it was a, it was really that plus one that that I underrated, and the Renin Seven token ends up being pretty difficult to kill. Like it, also, it having reach, which I yes. just didn't realize, is very impactful. Yeah, very relevant because against Azika's Chariot, you lock or when you play with Azika's Chariot, you you're very good at locking up the ground. And so I thought, oh, I just want to play flyers like Goldsman Dragon, Moonveil Region, Elite Spellbinder. These are cards I thought people would play and just fly over all the Chariot and, and deal with that nonsense. But the, the tokens, the Tree Folk tokens, make that a lot harder to do. So you, you're right; the reach is very relevant in the metagame. Uh, and the the plus one ends up being really relevant with the way people are playing right now. So right now it seems like gruel based decks with Zika's Chariot and Ren, uh, they're definitely they're the top dog. They're public enemy number one. Yeah. And that's what everybody's trying to beat. Uh, every list looks a little bit different because there's so many different good cards to choose from. You can be really aggressive with Werewolves and play Werewolf Pack Leader and Reckless Stormseeker. You can play Man Acceleration and just get to your high end faster. You can splash a third color, basically any third color you want. Uh, between Treasures and Magda and Jaspera Sentinel, your and Pathways, like your third color is easy. Um, and you you know which three drops do you want? Do you want Tovalar? Do you want Briarbridge Tracker? Do you want Reckless Stormseeker? Do you want Gazandu Mammoth? Do you want um, 
I'm sure there's even one or two that I'm missing, but uh, plenty of options there. And then, you know, what removal do you want? So that they're, we're in the process of kind of refining those decks. I think, you know, the deck to me seems pretty beatable because it doesn't have, it doesn't have that I win button that Gruul Adventures had in Embercleave where they can both outgrind you with card advantage. And uh, if you try to like, you know, if you try to sort of play a little bit slow so that you're, you make sure that you're not going to lose to that card advantage, they can punish you with Embercleave. There's not really the same uh, punishment here. I guess like Ren copying with the Zika's Chariot, but like that's two cards specifically that you need. Um, so I do think the decks are beatable. It's just the mo- it was just the most obviously powerful thing at first, but we're starting to see some some other stuff emerge. Like I've I've seen people try control decks. I've seen a lot of um, of this sort of Skullport Merchant deck. Uh, there was the Orzov mid it was Orzov mid range that took second in the Hooklandia Open, right? Uh, it was playing Skullport Merchant, Eye Twitch, and Shambling Ghast as sort of its core, and Lolth as sort of its core. Okay. Uh, and also the Altar's Reap that makes a treasure. So that that was your card advantage, and it's like Skullport Merchant plays good defense with four toughness uh, and survives Dragon's Rage a lot of the time. But then, um, you know, you end up just generating like a lot of card advantage over the course of the game, sacking treasures, and Gurr Kowalski now has a mono black version of the deck. Oh, they, yeah. they all play Blood on the Snow, too. So, that like, card's really underrated. Like the fact that it yeah. kills everything and brings stuff back allows you to like keep playing because like that card can be awkward against Azika's Chariot, where like you kill all their stuff, but they just still have the Chariot play, and then they get to like play something crew Chariot and keep attacking you right away. But you're getting back like a creature like Planeswalker. Generally, that's going to be very big or impactful. Yeah, no, that you know we got to readjust ourselves. Like we're playing traditional mid range magic where five mana Planeswalkers and Haymakers are really good, and Blood on the Snow is a really good Haymaker. So the yep. Orzov deck was playing that, but the mana base ends up being a little awkward. I think the main gain from white was vanishing first, but none of the other white cards were like that good. Um, so Gregor Kowalski just made it a mono black deck. So the snow mana base was easy. You got to play more faceless havens uh, and even set some uh, hive of the eye tyrants, but most, more snow lands to be consistent with blood on the snow because you really want to get to five because blood on the snow returning Lolth is nice. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he, like, he posted a mono black list. He's been doing really well with on the ladder. Mono green aggro looks to be pretty good, but I kind of think we can do better. I think there's going to be like we got to figure out how to beat down. That's what people haven't figured out yet. And then the uh, the ramp decks, like the, the, I've seen versions of uh, basically decks with the the collected company, um, st- st- uh, Storm the Festival. Yeah, I think I think that's it. It's yeah. something with Storm. I think it might be yeah. Storm the Festival. Yeah. It's definitely something the festival. So if you know yeah. it's Storm and I know it's the festival, we can put it together. Yeah, it's definitely that's Storm. Yeah, good yeah. teamwork. So Storm the Festival seems like the the over the top card. For they're still kind of mid range decks, but they're a little rampier, and they don't have as much interaction. But they have a ton of card advantage, so they're good at playing through their opponent's interaction. And it was the Selesnya list that won the Hooklandia Open last weekend. What is sort of the first version? But now I'm starting to see Sultai lists that play Binding the Old Gods because the, the key if if you want to know the key to making this Storm the Festival card good, it's not just hitting threats; it's hitting answers off of it too. So you increase the card's flexibility. And so the white deck had Skyclave Apparition, great answer to hit off of it. Uh, and now the Sultai decks are playing Binding the Old Gods, which seems even bind, yeah, Binding the Old Gods, uh, which seems even better. It's also kind of a ramp spell. Um, so I think those kind of Sultai lists have some potential. So there's a lot of neat things going on in Standard right now. Uh, even if the there, you know, some people I think are a little bit too quick to denigrate the format for being all Azika's chariots and stuff. 
Um, I, I think we'll start to see the, the metagame react as it solidifies because the, the Gruul deck has, or Gruul base deck, has uh, such a huge target on its head. But the, right now I'm looking for a good aggro deck that isn't just mono green. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some people talking about like mono white, you know, just a million one drop, two drop, and like being able to possibly just get through the decks with that. And some people have had success with it. But I did kind of want to circle back for a second and take a look at like, you know, some of these decks that we've gone over and like some of the little choices that are being made in them. And when I look at the red green decks, it's like you said, there's a, there's a ton of like custom, like you can you can customize it in whatever way you want with like some of your two and three drops, but almost all of them have something like, you know, Magda or Jasper Sentinel or both just to make sure you can power out your stuff that turn ahead. Because if you're a turn ahead of your opponent, like you're generally winning, you know, blocking is going to be a little bit harder in this format, blah, blah, blah. But one of the cards that I'm really liking that a lot of people are playing that, you know, I might not have necessarily seen. And, and for this reason is Dragon's Fire as their removal spell. And it's, it's the typical removal spell that we've seen in standard be playable lately, where it's like one to red instant, it deals three damage. You know, we've seen that a lot. Generally, it's been exiling, which has been important in some matchups. Uh, so that's been when it's good. But it doesn't exile here. It has another clause on it. And it says that uh, if you reveal a dragon card, which you can do as an additional cost, or you have a dragon... Um, I think this one might have the one where it's in play. Right, or you choose a dragon in play, and it deals equal to its power. So if you have like a goldspan dragon in play or a goldspan dragon in your hand, it, it lets it do four, which is the real stress point in this format because of chariot, because of dragon, you know, and a couple of these other uh, like a flipped reckless storm seeker. Has, now a skullport merchant. Yeah, you're looking at a lot of creatures that have four. Uh, the red and six tokens are generally going to have five, but hey, they might have put it out on turn four with only four lands. Loth seeing a lot of play as a planeswalker starts on four loyalty. If they zero it, you know, and it starts on four and doesn't have any pluses. So, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, four, if they just zero it, it, it is going to kill a Loth as well. Yeah, and th this is one of the things that like I think might be able to, it might make the mono green thing a problem, is like they have these dragons fires, they have play with fire, but they also are mostly all running four burning hands in the sideboard. For people who might not know that one, that's an instant. That's two and a red that shocks. But if it deals it to a green permanent, it deals six instead. It's one, so like, it's one and a red. I'm sorry, it's one and Did I say something different? You said two and a red. But uh, it, it's I, one think and you, red. I think you thought two mana, two, and then you yeah. were saying the mana cost. So, and Yeah, it's one and red. And here's the thing. Dealing six is really important, A, because it, it kills all the stuff in mono green. But it even kills a red and six that has been played in plus, which I think is going to be a big play in the standard format. If red and six is everywhere, Burning Hands is going to be like one of the premier removal spells because it's good enough for you to play against all these other decks and kill their early stuff, but it can kill a red and six straight up. Yeah, you know, but Dragon's Fire is like the default main deck removal spell for red, and then you sideboard play with fire for aggro and burning hands for green decks, uh, and that's kind of where where they all are. There's a couple other options for red removal that deal three, so if you're not playing any dragons, they have some other optionality that makes them a little bit better. But, like, most of them are playing, like, two or three Goldspan Dragons in this sort of mix with Ren. And any little, any chance of being able to deal four with it, I think, is better than the other modes. Like, there's one that lets you discard two cards and then draw two instead of deal instead of the three damage to a creature or Planeswalker mode. And, you know, yeah, it's nice to be able to do that sometimes, but it's very rare that you will. So I'll take the small chance of being able to deal four. And, yeah, so, yeah, all, all my, my, like, red mid-range decks, Dragon's Rage is, is the removal spell of choice. And... It's generally better than the black removal. I think that's one thing that, that I've noticed. Black losing Eliminate and Heartless Act. It has Power Word Kill, which 
w- during preview season when we were all playing with the Millie Goldspan Dragons just looked awful. I think it's going to look a little bit better now because the numbers on Goldspan have decreased. The Is It Dragons deck, which seemed like a deck that an easy tier one deck, right? Because it, it virtually survived intact, has is actually is not that good. And I think it's because um, it's because it's just not it's not playing on that same uh, raw power level as the other mid range decks. It actually sat in a nice spot in the the previous metagame where like it, it could answer cheap creatures and then turn the corner, or it could just sort of play a control game against uh and try to you know play con- a similar control game against um against rogues and. Uh, play like an aggro control game against uh, ultimatum decks. But now that it just has to play like a straight up mid-range deck, it doesn't quite have that same raw power. And I don't really like cancels in this format, like saw it coming, no. any sort of cancel. I love no, Disdainful Stroke. Disdainful yeah. Stroke is awesome. So I think if I if I think if you built the Is It Dragons deck a little bit differently, just like main deck, literally main deck four Disdainful Stroke, <laughs> and uh, and just had had a million of them, and just said I'm going to be a little bit weaker game one to to low to the ground aggro, which you don't really you're not really seeing a lot of right now. Right. Uh, you, you know, a little bit of mono white, a little bit of mono green, and even against mono green, the stroke is still fine because they have yeah. chariot and ren still. And you uh, have obscene sideboard cards against those. Decks. Yeah, and you just get to sideboard really well against them. So maybe is it just needs to be uh you know needs to look a little bit different, but yeah. Having the the mid range matchup in mind more game one and then kind of yeah that makes sense yeah I just don't I just don't like counter spells like even my control decks don't I play don't cancels either. in them my I, <laughs> if you're playing uh if you're playing a control deck right now you're gonna be maybe maybe one of the more of the like I, I say Shaheen Sarani style but he does every version of it but like the more like I am tapping out to do yeah. broken stuff like I am tapping out for expensive spells to make sure that I can get a planeswalker or something here. Yeah. My, my article this week actually uh, which is live now is all about the things I learned from playing with the cards on versus just yeah. things that I think are going to be true about this format like just sort of big picture things and at the end I have an updated list of a deck I played on versus it was a Grixis control deck that plays you know very few counter spells a tap out control deck and it's playing Imrith as its main win condition but also Valky. Uh, so those are the win conditions which are both great with because you have Imrith which is also a dragon dragon's rage is still a great removal spell but you also get to play blood cheese thirst and shadows verdict and, and a lot of good black cards some discard and the, the thing that holds it together was actually the celestis that weird manolith yeah. that can yeah, flip yeah. day and night um, but what it does is, you know, your sweeper costs five, which is sometimes awkward, and Imrith costs five. And so oftentimes it's really just beneficial for you to skip over four. Uh, you know, like I'm not playing Memory Deluge because I'm not a, a draw-go deck. My card advantage is Expressive Iteration, and uh, along with Imrith and Planeswalkers. But so, so like that little bit of ramp is actually really beneficial to this mid uh, the tap-out style of control. So... Uh, it played out really well in Versus. I, I, there's an updated ver- uh, list of the deck in that article if that sounds like something you're interested in. I love the, the idea of being able to go turn three Celestis into either Duress post-board, because there's Duresses in the board, or Blood Chief Thirst against Aggro, so you don't even like lose that much tempo there, that tapping tempo, out for yeah, the Manolith. Yeah. Uh, and I think Blood Chief Thirst is good because it gives you outs to these Planeswalkers late. It also ki- cheaply kills the uh, the token from from Ren. Uh, so I think Blood Chief Thirst is a very good removal spell. You know, the combination of, like, Bloodshusers, Dragon's Rage, I had, like, one Power Word Kill, one Infernal Grasp, and some Prismaria Command, so I have main deck answers to Chariot. Seemed like yeah. a really good... Re- and then some Sweepers and the Chattel's Rotary. So I, I love the removal suite in the deck. It can be a little bit clunky. Like, sometimes you draw, like, two or three Emirates early, and sometimes you draw zero, and those are the difficult games. But, like, games where you draw exactly one Emirate, 
the deck is is really good. Yeah, absolutely. And like I'm looking at the deck that won the challenge this weekend, and it's actually kind of close to what you're talking about. But this is just a straight up, just like Rakdos mid range deck. Oh yeah, uh, that deck looked really cool. I, I kinda, I, yeah, I kind of want to read off some of the cards for people at home. It had you know four Bloodthirsty Adversary in it, which is really cool because this is a deck full of a bunch of removal. But yeah, before before you get further into it, I just want to say, had this had these results been posted like two hours earlier, you yeah, would have seen this deck on versus on on Tuesday, but yeah. uh, I didn't quite get in. I thought this deck looked really cool. Yeah, so like you have these bloodthirsty adversaries and like the cards that it's bringing back. You know, you have blood blood chief's thirst. You have Shattershell smashing, which not a good one to bring back, right? Or can you cast it? <laughs> you cast it for free. Yeah, that's not a good one. But you have like soul shatter, play with fire, infernal grass, dragon's fire, like all that yeah, stuff. I, I count twelve good spells yeah. to target with it. And that's a that's a good number. Yeah. And then you're looking at Goldspan Dragon, uh, a four of of graveyard trespasser, a card you and I both liked. Yeah, uh, first time we've seen it show up though, so. Mm-hmm. Definitely a card that really wants to play with a lot of removal. So yeah. I think it makes a lot yep. of sense in this show. Uh, Emmerstorm Predators in this. Uh, if you've never played against that card, it's fucked up. It's really hard to kill. Uh, you're looking at uh, Colin, the, the Reclusive Painter. And for people at home that don't know this card, this is this was a limited card that was pretty cool, but this works a lot in this deck. And it's it's doing a similar role to a lot of the two drops in the green-red decks where it's going to ramp you but leave behind a body. So it's a black and a red for a 1-2 human elf bard. It's a legendary creature. When it enters the battlefield, you create a treasure token, and then other creatures you control enter the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on them for each mana from a treasure spent to cast them. So this not only allows you to like ramp into some of your four and five drops, but it makes them bigger, which is pretty good because if you put a plus one plus one counter on some of these cards, like Goldspan Dragon, it's now a five five, and Dragon's Fire can't kill it. You don't have a five power dragon to reveal or have unless you've done the same kind of thing or you've pumped your own. So that works out a lot. Uh, it's got Reckless Stormseeker in it to kind of, you know, turn up the heat or whatever and just be a good card. You've got Valky in, in this as well. Plus, you've just got the, the creature lands in here, too. It's got Hive and Din as well and some good cyber cards. You're looking at, like, four Duress, four Burning Hands, and then some, you know, a couple other yeah. cards. Skyclave Shade here. Against Control looks looks great. Um, yeah, it's a, this is just a classic mid-range deck. I've got two drops, three drops, a lot like High on the Curve, a good amount of removal, lots of ways to use my mana into the late game with Shatterfield Smashing, Creature Lands, and Tybalt. Um, you know, the Kalein, we, we actually, and Bloodthirst of the Adversaries are Mana Sync too, but Kalein, we saw towards the end of last summer in the Sacrifice decks that were going super treasure focused, um, just um, if you paid attention to lists, but not really outside of it. And here, yeah, you're right, it looks a lot like Prosperous Innkeeper in Gruul. Like some Gruul decks play some Innkeepers just so they can consistently get that ramp to Chariot. And now you're ramping into like Emberstone Predator or going like Kalane into Trespasser into Goldspan Dragon as a 5 5, which now is suddenly like bigger than your opponent's Goldspans, hard, much harder to kill with Dragon's Fire, um, and, and you know, potentially big enough to attack into a Ren if they accelerated the Ren out and maybe they only make a 4 4 token. Uh, so, yeah, I like what Kalane does. You know, th- this kind of deck, you know, it's not doing anything super powerful. But if you play it well and get good value out of your cards, you're going to win a lot of games. No, absolutely. I, I, this is a deck that's cool. Like This is one of the decks that I was looking at right away to try out. Um, a big streamer said they tried it out today. It didn't beat the green decks the way they wanted it to. Uh, because, you know, green is kind of, I think, the most played color in this format by, oh, by a wide, wide margin. margin. Yeah, and stuff. So um, that I'm kind of interested in, especially post-board, when you're bringing in, like, you know, four burning hands, and depending on the build of green, like, duress might not even be horrible, depending on what you're taking out, because, like, you get to take chariot, you get to take Ren and six, and you can fit it in on, like, 
you know, turns four and five to kind of like, yeah. you know, depending on how it works out. And it's like, actually a good so point. Many, yeah, I should probably so be main decking Duress in my Grixis control deck. Yeah, maybe like one or two or something I, like that. I have, like, I have two check for traps in the main and four, like three or four Duress in the sideboard. It should probably just be yeah. two Duress in the main. Yeah, because like it's got pretty big hits in every deck besides Mono White. It's a pretty big miss. They do not have a ton. Right, yeah. like I don't, the mono white decks are, are they like playing... a ton of creatures. I, I don't have the list in front of me, but the ones that I've seen, I did not see a ton. Like they might have a few removal spells or something. You yeah, know, like, this is an Orza version. I'm just thinking, are they playing the equipment, Mall of the Skyclaves? I don't think they, they are. Generally, generally, oh, I mean, this like, one is. yeah, generally they're playing that card because it's so powerful and it, it can help beat the the creatures that can gum up the ground against you. You know, because sometimes you can't attack through an Ezekiel's Chariot. You know, you just don't have the way that you, you can't go wide enough or whatever, or you can't go tall enough to beat it, you know, if you had a slower start. So Maul of Skyclaves is like kind of like their card that, you know, does a lot of work on offense and defense because you can block, you know, some of their flyers and stuff with it. So that card can be pretty impactful and pretty big in a lot of spots. Yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of variation in these mono white lists. Like, I, yeah. I knew there was a lot of options in the three slots, so I'm seeing some variation there, but I'm also seeing some variation in the number of ones, what removal spells people are playing. So we're kind of in that stage. <laughs> every single deck you know the specific lists are very important very relevant and uh people are doing a lot of different things i, I just see a list here with loyal warhound as a two drop i like that i have not been impressed with intrepid adversary but maybe in a very dedicated aggro deck it'll play a little bit better um a card i do like quite a bit right now Corey was actually playing it on his stream yesterday in a naya deck but brutal cathar you know everyone talks about uh, skyclave apparition and i think in a vacuum apparition is better but there's one thing Brutal Cathar does that Apparition doesn't, and that's kill Tree Folk tokens from Renin 6. Uh, and Brutal Cathar is still a very good card. If, if they can't kill it and you get to transform it back and get a second creature, like, it's absurd. And you actually have a little bit more control with the way Daybound and Nightbound works as opposed to the previous iteration of Werewolves. Um, because Daybound says if a player casts no spells during their turn, it becomes Night. So if you if you do nothing, your opponent can't just play an instant and stop it from changing to night because you did nothing during your turn. And then Nightbound is cast two spells during during their own turn. So one person can have full control over day and right. night. Uh and obviously and you know, you can't stop them from that. So it's a little bit easier to transform these things than I initially anticipated. So Same. I, I think I overlooked that at first for sure. Oh, same. Yeah. I just thought it was gonna work I like I kinda read it, it read similar and I didn't think about the exact wording and I just assumed it worked exactly the same way. <laughs> yeah, same. Uh, but yeah, they, they made a slight even a slight adjustment there. So Brutal Cathar I think is gonna be a card that surprises people and starts showing up quite a bit. Um and obviously, like, in the night that Corey was playing, the single white and the mana cost was a huge part of it because white was the splash color. So uh, I, I wouldn't expect it to see it in, like, green-white decks that are playing uh, Storm the Festival, maybe as a split with Apparition, because you, you definitely want access to both. You probably play more than four total of those kinds of cards. But I'm seeing some control decks. I'm seeing the, you know, mid-range green decks. I'm seeing a ton of other mid-range decks. Like I said, the the black sort of sacrificey mid-range deck or with and you know there's different color variations of all of these and then i'm seeing sort of over the top decks that are going into storm the festival so we're starting to see the semblance of a metagame but it's going to take some time for the decks to get really tuned and to find you know established versions as opposed to just this you know wild west that we have right now where where you can almost see anything and uh, like i said before I, th I think the missing link right now is like how do we how do we beat down because if, if people don't figure out how to attack outside of just mono green aggro, um, 
then we're going to get into this mid-range arms race. And maybe we need we need to get through the mid-range arms race and get a few more stages deep into it so the mid-range decks become a little bit more inbred, and then you can punish them with different aggro right, decks. But right. there, yeah. there's got to be some better ways to, to attack. And I'm kind of thinking that the, that burn decks would be a good way to do it. Like, there's not a ton of, of life gain that's happening in these gruel decks, right? Like, they're... Uh, I don't think they have much at all, if any... Yeah, so I, I want to be playing a, a burn focus list, and I actually want to be playing uh, nearly mono red. I want to splash white for two cards, maybe three, but probably only two. One of them is Showdown of the Skulls because that card's busted, and the other one is the Carolus. I think the name is. It's it's the legend from the set. It's a one red white two three flying haste. If a right, uh, yeah. if, if like non combat damage would be dealt to creatures you control, I think it might just say a spell would deal damage. Uh, prevent that damage. So, like, your opponent's dragons or ages just don't work anymore. And, and if a spell you control would deal damage, it deals one more. So the, the burn spells are kind of weak, but if you pump them all up by one, and suddenly your royal eruptions are dealing four, your play with fires are dealing three, your spike field hazards are dealing two, and your That's shadow huge. skull smashings yeah. are dealing one extra to both targets, uh, you know, it, your deck is looking a lot better. So I want to... There's more text on that card, too. It helps prevent damage to some of your other stuff, too. So, like, that can be important. Yeah, it stops their Dragon's Rages, and it stops... Uh, that's the main one, but the, there's some some other things. So I, I'm interested in a more burn-focused list that doesn't have as many creatures. I want to play Flame Channeler. I want to play uh, the uh, the red card that... Uh, the red um, adversary... Um, Bloodthirsty. Yeah, Bloodthirsty Adversary, and I want to play Careless, and maybe I want to play Reckless Stormseeker uh, as just another good haste creature, but probably not even that. I think, like, 12 creatures and four uh, showdowns. I think you want to make the removal as bad as possible, game one. Yeah, exactly. Um, but there are certain ones that are that you just can't deny. Like, Flame Channeler is so good in that deck and, and is another source of card advantage. Um, maybe you need, like, one other creature because you are a showdown deck, but I haven't thought about it, but that that's the way I want to do it, because I think... I think if you're trying to attack through Zika's Chariot, you're doing it wrong. Like you, you got to avoid. You got to avoid trying to attack through that that, that thing. It's just a, a fucking monster. So how do we ignore it? Like Mono Green tries to attack through it with just bigger creatures, which can kind of work. Uh, but I'd rather try. I I would just rather ignore it. And there's not a lot of counter spells around, as there shouldn't be. I think that helps going in a burn a burn direction. So that, that if I was trying to to attack this metagame, that's one area I would explore. But it's kind of exciting to see this kind of metagame evolve. I know it's very mid-range centric, but we just haven't had that for so long, right? It's just been yeah. This is this, this is this is a good reason why Brennan's been messaging you guys all day, every day with like new deck lists and stuff. This is like yeah. a Brennan Decandio paradise. Oh yeah, he's like, if, he's like, if only Golgari were better. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he keeps trying to make it good. <laughs> yeah. Me wrong. If, if there's a good Golgari deck, I guarantee you, Brennan will find it. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that I've noticed, and I think that this is something you might see a little bit uh, when the mid-range decks are getting more inbred, as you were saying, is uh, the people that are really leaning into Ezekiel's Chariot ability of like uh, copying a, a token. And yeah, you can copy the tutus that it makes, but it can copy any token, right? And we've seen treasure tokens you know, po- in a lot of decks possibly getting uh, copied. But uh, one of the big ones for me is you've seen some of these people playing uh, Briarbridge Tracker as yeah. well in the decks and investigating, making a clue token. And then getting to copy that with Azekas Chariot, because like if you play the the Bribers Tracker to be able to pump itself, crew Azekas Chariot, attack, and then make another one, you're not going to run out of gas in these games. And that's another good mana sink for your decks that are also playing, you know, Magda and Jasper Sentinel, because there is a problem when you play decks with cards like that, where later in the games, 
if you draw too many copies of those cards and you don't have ways to use your mana, you're going to fall behind from your opponent doing one good thing, right? You know, your opponent's got one Planeswalker or like one thing for them to invest their mana in. Another card that's cool to invest your mana into and I think is a really good mana sneak is Ranger Class. And I think that's a card that we're going to start seeing. So if that's a thing that starts happening, if people start doing stuff like that, uh, naturalize effects are going to be pretty good. And there's also a creature that comes along. There's a werewolf. It's like a two, it's a two, two for two and it goes into a three, three or whatever. And that one is like, has the typical like old school ability where you can sacrifice it to naturalize something, you know, to kill an artifact or an enchantment. That's another card that could, uh, come out and be pretty good. Uh, broken wings, you know, the cards that are like that, that the ones that are naturalized plus kill a flyer are pretty good. I think in this format, it kills Zeke Chariot and Goldspan Dragon. And there's not a lot of cards that do both of that when the chariot's not activated, which is really cool. Yeah, no, uh, all those cards I, th- I think are good. I love Briar Bridge Tracker. I wrote an entire article about yeah, how well did. it pairs with with Azika's chariot, and I, I'm I'm always surprised. I think especially in Gruel decks that are playing more mana acceleration on the low end and not playing Werewolf Pack Leader. I'm less interested in Reckless Stormseeker and way more interested in Briarbridge Tracker, and I tend to still see more Reckless Stormseekers. And like, I get the interaction with Azika's Chariot is really cool, but uh, I would rather just have the the higher floor card because your cards are just all so good, and you have a lot of them with really high ceilings anyway. So give give me the high floor. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, c- count me in that. In the, to me, it's like I'm either playing Werewolf Pack Leader and. Um, and Reckless Stormseeker and becoming more aggressive, or I'm playing Briarbridge Tracker and Man Acceleration and using the Tracker to make sure I don't flood by adding that those extra Man Acceleration cards. Uh, so those are the sort of the two ways that I'm thinking about Gruel decks, and uh, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if they split into that over time, uh, into that dichotomy. In in a full mid-range metagame, I would err on the side of Acceleration and Briarbridge Tracker yeah. than, than trying to be more aggressive. But as pe- when people start finally playing more control and uh, and maybe more aggressive decks uh, to get under the mid-range decks, then the more aggressive version of the mid-range decks tends to be better because you get more cheap threats that can play defense against aggro and you get more early pressure against control. So you're better against the extremes of the metagame. Uh, mm-hmm. So I suspect we will see Briarbridge Tracker start to emerge more, and then once the the extremes in the metagame start being able to take advantage of inbred midrange decks, uh, we'll, we'll see it revert, and we'll get that nice metagame churn. Yeah, and I've even seen one other thing that people are doing in these decks, and the ones that you kind of like, the ones that have a little more acceleration in them, since it's going along with Jasper Sitnal, Magda, and they generally play, um, what's the name of the two-drop? Give me two seconds. Uh, Prosperous Innkeeper. I've seen that one show up as well as another two-drop. That is, Since it's making so many treasure tokens, and you're going to be copying treasure tokens at some point in time with, with Zika's Chariot, uh, I've seen some that just have blue cards in their sideboard and no way to generate blue mana off of a land. You know, I've seen some that, uh, or maybe they have like, you know, one pathway. You know, yeah. like maybe, but sometimes none. And then they have stuff like Negate and Disdainful Stroke in their sideboard for some of their matchups. And like, that seems pretty cool to me that like, I'll tell you this, if I'm playing against a green red deck and they're doing a bit of stuff and I'm like more on the controlling side and I get negated and they don't have a blue source in play on a land, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> like I'm going to be pretty upset or whatever. So, uh, lots, I mean, of, lots of cool options. I'm, I'm looking at Gregor Kowalski's, uh, mono black deck that he's apparently been doing yep. really well with. And he's got green cards in the sideboard. He has one containment breach as a card to find off of, of learning, but he also has two Valkies and he can cast Tybalt off the treasures, but no, like no red lands because you want all snow lands and, and nice consistent mana. So yeah, people are definitely taking advantage of those treasures for small splashes. And 
on the, um, bringing up this deck because it, it's another card that I th- I think you know I underrated. Uh, you didn't really talk about it much during during our couple preview season shows, but a card I definitely d- did not think was going to be that good and has impressed me when I've seen it and played with it is the Meat Hook Massacre. And to me, when I initially read it, I thought, well, this is a sweeper, and then it has like a text that do- isn't really relevant in decks that want sweepers, but it's also a really expensive sweeper, and so it ends up playing out really awkwardly, in my opinion, but in this style of deck, the Skullport Merchant, I Twitch Shambling Gas deck, like you can kill random creatures that you've gotten. You could he has Sedgemore Witch as well. You can kill random pest tokens. And that and this is a deck that, you know, that life gain and life loss on both sides ends up being pretty relevant. You usually cast Meat Hook Massacre for three or less so you don't kill your Skullport merchants. Uh but maybe you cast it for four if you need to kill stuff. I play. It, it was also in the Orzov midrange deck from the Hooglandia Open, which I played on versus on Tuesday, and I got, I played it in one game, and I won a game that like because of it, and I lost a game because Corey Disengel stroked it, and it would have won the game had it resolved. And it wasn't just the sweeper part; it was afterwards over the rest of the game. I must have gotten like four points in both directions. Like it was just, it was a good sweeper that also just drained my opponent for four life over the course of the rest of the game. And those little things just all added up. And that's what this this kind of deck is. If you're looking at these Skullport Merchant decks and thinking like, what are these decks doing? Like the individual power isn't there, but it's a lot of little synergies that are adding up and that are difficult to interact with. And that it's a really powerful high end in Blood on the Snow and Loth. So uh, I'm excited to see decks like this. This is this is my my bag. The like yeah. I'm, I can compete with you even though my cards kind of suck. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's that's totally like. I mean, if you look at the, the, the cards and, like, the decks that I've done, almost most of the, the decks that I've done really well with in my life or I have, like, higher win percentage, it's almost always decks like that where I just have an amalgamation of cards together and they work really well together, but separately. Like, when you look at the Delver decks or, like, the blue-white tempo decks and stuff like that, like, all my cards are not that great. You know, like, there's no, like, one card where I'm like, this card is going to win the game by itself. You know, obviously, if you, like, play Delver and you, like, daze something or you flip Mana Leak to it in standard, like... You know, that card's going to do nine damage, probably, before something happens to it, right? But, like, you get what I'm saying. I don't have, like, a Renin 7 in my deck. I don't have, like, this big haymaker that's just like, yeah, you're dead, you know, kind of thing. And stuff. So I like those decks, too, where you have to get, like, the most out of every card. And, it like, decks like this, I'll tell people at home, like, yeah, you're going to win some games or you play your deck the way you're supposed to, right? That's just the way Magic is nowadays, and it's just the way that cards are a little bit more because they're so powerful and they have so much text on them. But you still have to get the most out of every card that you can. So when your deck is a little less powerful or a little more funky than your opponent's decks and like less synergy driven, you know, it's just all your cards being great together. You're going to have to make sure you get the most possible out of it. So make sure you get some games in before you like, you know, bring it to a big tournament. You know, you can bring it to FNM, obviously. Go have fun or whatever. But if you bring it to a big tournament trying to put up some results or whatever, you need to know your matchups. You need to know like, what card am I holding for, you know, here or there? And like, what am I playing around? Like... And you'll get into a situation sometimes when you have a deck like this, like this mono black deck or whatever, where you have a ton of removal spells, right? And you'll have a decision like, which way do I kill this creature? Do I use this spell or this spell? And you might not know that one of them is better to use than the other one in that spot. And that is important to know that like, oh, I'm going to need this card later. You know, I might actually be mana inefficient. Like I've had turns where I've had three mana up and I've had a three mana removal spell and a two mana removal spell, but it was correct for me to use the two mana removal spell because the three one covers like, another card later that i might not have you know the other one that the other card might not have you get what i'm saying there like even being mana inefficient so yeah that stuff that stuff could be very important 
Yeah, the uh, the and especially like you you kind of think about. Uh, I agree with you. Like you think about synergy driven decks as uh, as not you don't you don't say the same thing about getting the value out of your cards because that's what you talk about with just individual powerful mid range decks. But you do have to do that because your cards are not individually powerful. So it's actually more onus on you to do it. And, uh, you know, it's just the how you get the most value out of your cards is very different in synergy-driven decks than it is in just individually powerful decks. Because most of the time in the synergy-driven decks, it's the context of your draw that is more important than the context of your opponent's draw to uh, in evaluating, you know, how to play your cards and how to maximize them. In the decks that are just playing, you know, raw, powerful, good cards, it's usually the context of the opponent's draw. Like, which of my cards is the one that's going to be most difficult for them to answer? That's the one that's most important, and I've got to make sure how to, like, finagle it into, into the battlefield in the right spot. Maybe bait them with something else. Uh, because it, your cards interact with each other less, uh, so you're much more thinking about what your opponent is doing uh, than you are with the synergy driven decks. You're just kind of enacting your own game plan. So when you have, you know, Skullport Merchant and... You know, I twitch and those synergies are coming together. Maybe some other card in your hand is less important, uh, and that's what you run out first, and things like that. So, uh, yeah, r- r- it's it's cool to see two different, you know, ostensibly mid range decks, but they play out very, very differently, uh, and how you play them is going to be very different. So, don't think the skills are going to translate from one deck to the other. Speaking of different, let's talk about a different format for a second, because I think you were kind of excited by some of the different things that have been going on in Pioneer and some of the newer cards that are making a splash there. Well, we I would say we we missed on a, on a couple things, you know, in standard. We didn't hype Ren as much as we was we should, and and I talked about Mitook Massacre. More on that later. More on yeah. that later. I I think we were pretty dead on for Pioneer. When you yep. look at Pioneer results, you see a lot of considers, you see a lot of play with fires, you see a good amount of Arclight Phoenixes. Maybe it's not going to be broken. I'm still skeptical. Uh, the one thing I will say is the control deck seemed to be picking up consider, which makes sense. It's good with dig through time. But one of the winning lists from the one of the Pioneer challenges is a, a blue-white control deck that is playing four copies of Fateful Absence. And, and that's an interesting you, one. Before you do this, I wanted to say this too. I think this is super cool. I think this is great because I've played a decent bit of Pioneer and I've played the blue-white control deck. And one of the annoying things about the deck is if something slipped through or you needed to let a creature resolve, one of your only ways to kill it when it's in play generally is just a Supreme Verdict. And like, if it's a good enough threat, they can just sit on it and make you one for one yourself. Or whatever with it, or like you have to chump block with some shark tokens, or maybe like you know whatever, depending on how many shark typhoons you got. This being a two mana, I'm using quotations here, Doom Blade, right, is awesome. I think this is something this deck badly needed in this format. It is going to help a ton. Also, the fact that it hits Planeswalker still blows my mind because this is another big thing in this format where if they somehow sneak a Planeswalker in on you. You can kill it for two mana and keep doing your stuff. So, like, if they do sneak in, you know, uh, you know, a Teferi of Hero Dominaria, Narset or whatever, you don't have to, like, panic. You've just got this easy two mana answer for it, and you might be able to play something else on your own turn as well. Yeah, and, and those two mana answers, of course, play very well with Teferi. So now yep. you have this really flexible yeah. answer to make sure you Absolutely. untap with your Teferi. You can hit a haste creature, hit their Planeswalker, so you know you're really ahead. Um, yeah, seem, uh, so it fits pretty, very, very well into the deck. Uh, it's a bold move putting four copies of it, but I, I think it makes sense when you, when you think about what the Azorius control deck needs, it's going to be so advantage going along. It has so much card advantage, uh, giving up the investigate usually isn't that big of a deal. Uh, I could see it being a bit of an issue against like burn or other aggressive decks. 
Uh, but you probably sided out against them because you've got Azorius Charms and you've got Verdicts and you've got... Now they're playing Sunset Rivalry, which is very good against say, aggro. There's, there's a new card for them that is absurd versus the aggro decks, especially like the burn decks and the fact that it's just a cheaper timely reinforcements in a lot of spots. This is Sunset Rivalry. For people at home that might not know this, this is a card that was on my list of like the good sideboard cards that are going to come out of the set, you know, that, you're gonna sh- that are going to show up in sideboards. This is one in a white for a sorcery. If an opponent has more life than you, gain four life. If an opponent controls more creatures than you do, create two 1-1 one, one white human creature tokens. And if they have more cards in hand than you, draw a card. Now, generally you're going to get like two of the three of these. It just has this extra text tacked on where like, if they randomly have more cards than you, you get the extra card too. So against the blue-white deck, like uh, a strategy a lot of decks work out is they kind of like, you know, take their time with deploying their threats, making sure they don't ever get, you know, three for one by Supreme Verdict. And this really punishes them for doing something like that, where, you know, on one of your turns, you can be like, you know, do something, do something, like play a land, play this, drive a card. Also, this is another little bitty thing that makes Faithful Absence that much better. Because Faithful Absence, a lot of people don't like it because they're like, oh, I'm giving my opponent a clue, right? And they're going to get some card advantage late in the game. Well, you can get some of that back with Sunset Revelry as well, because yeah. you're just like, you don't care. And when you're a control deck against aggro, you have to mulligan a little bit more aggressively. Make sure you have the the early uh, you know interaction and you don't fall behind. This is a card that really helps compensate you for that and allow you to do it even more so. So should be a great sideboard card. So maybe a, you know a half miss in how the, some of these cards are u- being utilized in control. But for the most part, we're, we're seeing a lot of considers and a lot of play with fires. There's actually a really yeah. interesting Rakdos burn list. You know we're all so used to uh, to Boros burn. But uh, there's a Rakdos burn list that instead of playing Boros Charm was playing Hungry for More. This is a tenth place in one of the challenges by X File. Uh, Hungry for More is inside of the the new Hellspark Elemental, which is a card people probably don't remember. <laughs> you might want to explain that to some yeah. people at home. Yeah, Hellspark Elemental was a one and a red three one trample haste. At the end of turn, sacrifice it, and it had Unearth for one and a red. So it's from a Lara block, uh, and Unearth was just an activated ability from the graveyard that would bring it back for one more turn. Uh, and so Hungry for More is a spell that makes a token, a 3-1 for a black and a red with Trample, Lifelink, and Haste. So you get a little life out of it, too, in, in aggressive matchups. Has Flashback for one uh, a black and a red. So one more mana on the on the second half of it compared to Hellspark Elemental, but you get Lifelink out of it. And for the most part, you're just trying it to you're trying to connect with one of the halves. You know, maybe it trades for a card and deals them three. Really nice if it deals them six. You know, so you've got that upside with it. So playing that on the black splash instead of Boros Charm, and then in the sideboard, and then this is actually the real gain. I think of going black. Four copies of Self Inflicted Wound. Yeah, this is a really really big one in this format. Yeah, really awesome against any deck playing Llanowar Elves. Sylvan Carry added out of the Niv Mizzet decks. Um, you know, spirits plays enough white creatures that this card is probably fine against them, um, uh, because they can't even they can't rattle chains it, right? <laughs> like, it's yeah, a, for a, people a, at home, this is a one of the black mana sorcery. It says target opponent sacrifices a green or white creature. If they do, they lose two life. So it answers some of the problem problem creatures in the format, but also advances your normal game plan of like I need to be doing damage to you every turn. Yeah, and so it, it you know you you have four searing blood and four copies of this card in your sideboard. Uh, those are the ideal removal spells to sideboard for burn. You know, searing blood deals with the small creatures. Self inflicted wound deals with the big creatures, which tend to be green and white, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so really, really strong sideboard card. I think this might be the future of burn and pioneer. Is is the Rakdos list four copies of play with fire? Of course, um, also playing some den of the bugbears. I kind of like that. 
Um, yeah, it helps when you get flooded a little bit, having that creature land. Yeah, actually playing, good they're, one too. They're, they're playing two Haunted Ridge. I guess we, we don't have... Uh, yeah, but I guess that's the awkward thing. The mana, the mana's a little worse because you don't have yeah. a, a fast land. Uh, so they're playing Mana Confluence. Okay, so, so there, there's a that's a pretty big cost. I didn't consider how much worse the mana gets when you go from a an enemy pair to a friendly pair. The enemy pairs get have pain lands, pathways, shock lands, and fast lands. Like you're you're all set. Um, whereas the the friendly pairs they just don't have as much. So yeah, your your mana definitely gets worse, but I think your spells are better. So an interesting way to take uh to take this deck, and we're definitely seeing you know is it Phoenix? I saw a list of is it Phoenix that had four consider and no opt. And I just saw like that person just thought, oh, I got an upgrade for my ops, and I'll just you know swap them out. No, for the love of God, play eight no. cantrips, <laughs> please. Just cut any two mana spell in your deck. I don't care. You could cut expressive iteration and leave in your charter courses. I wouldn't recommend doing that, but I guarantee you, your deck is better if you cut any two mana spell to play eight cantrips <laughs> with that at one mana. Because is it Phoenix? It just matters so much. So thankfully, everyone else got the message and they're playing the full eight, but. I, I suspect we will see a lot more Is It Phoenix and Pioneer in the weeks to come. Yeah, I mean, it's still just a cool deck, right? You know, people like it. They already have the cards for it. Um, you know, they might have... It has some crossover effect as well to other formats, so that's, like, a really cool thing. And you're going to see that quite a bit. Um, as for other formats, like, no real big effects happened in, like, Legacy from the set, but we kind of we kind of knew that was happening, like, these cards. Like, I think one of the ones that we didn't talk about, and someone told me about this, is one of the few things that actually came up is apparently consider is a um is an upgrade for doomsday piles apparently okay. it like lets it like lets you win an easier way because it, it also mills the card you know so you know the card in your deck so you can get through some stuff quicker i'm not a doomsday player and i don't play against it very much so don't quote me on that but that's what i've heard is like you know something of of this card you know, making a splash, you know, in in this format. But there's been some cool stuff going on in Legacy, but nothing with the new cards. We're not going to, like, you know, go too far or too deep into that stuff for people on here. So, you know, if they want to hear that, then ask us questions in the mailbag, which we're actually going to get into today because we've neglected for the last month. And that's my fault for not seeing that we had questions in there. And so we'll get to that in just a second. But overall, like, you know, there's some people already having some, some problems with standard. You know, there's jokes that, Aron's Epiphany might need to get banned early, but we're not seeing it have as big an impact as we thought right away. You know, people are talking about Chariot as well. And like, you know, let's see what happens in the next couple weeks uh, with yeah. Arena. Arena usually flushes stuff out really fast. And people Ch- figure Chariot out. is the concern right now. Yeah. There's a lot of ways to fight artifacts. The, the problem is, is like, you know, that's never a great feeling when someone plays a Chariot and you're like, all right, play a spell to kill your Chariot. They still get the two twos and like some other problems and like they might just have another copy of the card. So it's kind of annoying. But we'll have to see what happens. We'll, we'll give we'll give the format some time to kind of like work itself out. You know? Yeah, no, we're still early. Like the decks don't even have you know defined forms right now. That we are yeah. super early, and we people haven't even are still made our final things form out. yet, Ross. Yeah, yeah, you've not even seen my final form. Yeah, and uh, and then as far as modern goes, it's mainly faithful mending, which both of us expected. That said, I did not expect faithful mending to really make it into Phoenix decks. Uh, you know, I just got done railing about playing enough more one mana spells, so I thought the difference from Faithless Looting to Faithful Mending, that extra mana was going to be make it a no go for Phoenix. Um, not that it wouldn't be good in the deck, but that it wouldn't make the deck you know good enough to be competitive. But Aspiring Spike, 
you know, built a Jeskai Go Phoenix figure. deck, made the yeah. top eight of the of one of the challenges last weekend. I've watched him play it on stream. The deck looks really, really good. Um, you know, Demi Lich doing some work. Yeah, it's a Demi Lich and Arclight Phoenix, so different than than the version you saw before. It's it's the Pioneer Phoenix decks that look a lot like is it Phoenix from Modern three years ago, uh, mm-hmm. but that this current iteration is is a little bit more. It's not as explosive on turn three uh, or turn two, but it's more explosive on turns four, five, and six, and more interactive on uh, in the early game because in addition to Lightning Bolt, you now have Prismatic Ending on the Splash which is great for handling some of the big creatures that Is It Phoenix used to struggle with. Death Shadow and Tarmogoyf, chief among them. Uh, can also handle different Planeswalkers, can answer hate cards. If the, your opponent plays an early Relic, now you have an answer to it. So, you know, turn. You know, sometimes you go, like, uh, turn, you know, on turn four, you can uh, cantrip, like, uh, eat their Relic and then faith, uh, Faithful Mending and uh, get them that way, which is really cool. So that deck looked great to me. Um, and there was also the Esper Reanimator deck that Spider Space top aided with, the same challenge. Um, basically a control deck with Thoughtseize, Counterspell, and uh, Teferi and Prismatic Ending as its disruption, and then playing Consider Faithful Mending with the Reanimation Package as their way to win the game. So four Persist, four uh, Unmarked Grave, one Unburial Rites, one Sarah's Emissary for Archon of Cruelty, which are also very castable if you just play a long game, so you don't get stuck with them in your hand. Uh, it was a cool deck. I played today, today on Versus. So, uh, again, a lot of Faithful Mendings, a lot of Considers. An unsurprising to see that that's what's, uh, what's breaking into Modern, but I was excited to see the, the Jeskai Phoenix deck. In fact, while watching Spike Top 8, the Challenge Tannen, I literally ordered four Demi-Liches, which apparently have already like doubled in price, so I guess I did nice. good. <laughs> like, yeah. They were, nice. I think I bought them for nine a piece on Sunday. Let's see what they are on uh, SCG now. This never happens to me, by the way. I always just lose money. Like, I bought four well, Smuggler's Copters for $60. It, almost, it also doesn't matter because you're never getting rid of them. Yeah. So, like, yeah, SCG is now sold out and they're listed at 18, which means when yeah. they get relisted, they will be more than that. Uh, so, what I was. Yeah, when I was doing some of the, the buy, buy, sell, trade anything, I was trying to get my hands on them if I could, and I just, like, could not people have not opened enough of them i think is a big deal too because like you know paper magic didn't really exist also that set really sucked yep (laughs) limited format was bad so people weren't buying it to draft speaking of that uh this limited format i thought i would like it a lot and i'm sad to say that i don't it's not the greatest uh or worst limited format of all time but having the name innistrad next to it comes with some expectations especially for me and a bunch of other people who remember the original Innistrad. To be fair, Shadows was also a mediocre limited format. Yeah. The problem with this set, and I've played a lot of it so far in limited, and you may have heard some other people say it is, I feel like there's one deck that has hands and feet above the rest, and it can support three different drafters at the table at the same time. So you're going to see that deck a lot because all the commons are very good. And that's just blue-black, like some form of Demir. The aggro decks usually can't keep up with it enough. Like I'm not saying the other decks can't win. But this is the best strategy to be playing right now, and I force it almost every draft where it's remotely open. Because I would rather have, like, a deck of 18 to 19 good playable blue-black cards and some random jank than, like, a good 23-card deck of other colors because the cards just aren't as good. Also, you talked about this earlier a little bit, and it's one of the things I don't like in the set is the way that Day-Night uh, re- resolves like the new way that it works. Like you know, one player can affect it, or whatever. But what I also don't like is it being day or night is tracked no matter what. 
Yeah. Where originally it was just individual cards flipped. And so the thing is now, if someone makes it day and it never makes it to night and you like kill this thing, later in the game, it will eventually make it to night, right? Like someone's going to pass and then all their cards for the rest of the game come in nightbound. And I think that's kind of BS. Like I don't like it very much because like you did nothing to extra, to do any kind of like extra investment into this card and you're getting the better end of it. And that makes me kind of annoyed because like, I don't get to see that this card is going to be coming in as a nightbound. You get what I'm saying? Like, I just, I just get hit with the nightbound side of it instead of the daybound and being like, okay, well now I have to play something, you know, main phase or whatever, but no, it's just already night. I also think it, it, you know, when people start playing with these cards in paper, it's going to be a really awkward thing because it's just something else to track and it's going to lead to a lot of judge calls. Oh yeah. It's going to be, especially like the, like, you know, this is going to be the first thing back in paper. Is we're going to be playing this set or like, you know, obviously maybe the next one, but it's just another physical dexterity type thing that people are going to have to keep up with, you know, blah, blah, blah. Obviously, like, you know, whatever. It's it's limited. Most people don't care. Blah, blah, blah. So uh, let's go ahead and move into some of these mailbag questions. I want to make sure that we get these done before we do anything else. Yeah, apparently uh, we fell a little behind here. I don't know why. We just weren't yeah, getting I, notifications. Yeah, I just wasn't getting the notifications. It's funny. Someone went in and made the notifications show up. So I, I'm, I'm assuming that was Brent. Brent, thank you. And he's actually got the first question. This is from Brent, our lovely editor. And he says, in tennis, I've noticed that fans don't like it when tennis competitors do the least to do at least two, these two specific things. Damage their racket out of frustration. And when they do uh, and when they do an underarm serve. Sorry, I, I was misreading that. Is that just strictly stupid from these fans? So you're the tennis guy. I'm going to let you answer. But I think the one thing that comes to mind for me is it's kind of like tennis is held in the same space that golf is where like you're supposed to be above that kind of thing. And we're seeing golf fight back with that a lot. Like like players are having way more personality. They're breaking stuff. They're cussing a lot on 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 the course. I'm not saying that never happened in the past, but you're seeing people be themselves more and not, yeah. you know, believing they have to be held to this super high esteem and like, you know, be a, be a Lord or lady and everything. And I think that's part of it. Yeah. So, well, it, it, there's a specific historical reason why that happens. And, and it's generally been true in, in most sports. Um, it, but it's easier to get away with it in team sports where like, you know, not, they're not focusing on you, like you as an individual all the time. Um, and it, you know, what w- the reason is like sports used to be the domain of the wealthy of the, the rich elite because working people had like, just didn't have time. Right. Or uh, the money. Know, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Or the money to, you know, to, and, and to so, a tennis court back in the day, there were, there weren't a lot of tennis courts. You could yeah. There weren't public, there weren't public tennis courts or, or they were segregated. Yeah. There was, there was the, there was the Wimbledon lawn tennis club, which you had to belong yeah. to, to use. And, and yeah. So there were there weren't public courts for people to use and, and shit like that. So this what like it was seen as that's where this whole idea of like sportsmanship comes from. It comes from this idea that we're better than working class people. We're the rich people, and we've got to that should be reflected in how we carry ourselves in sporting events, right? right. Um, and it you know golf and tennis have um, have remained more so the domain of wealthy people than other sports have and so you see more of that culture remaining over time so like just look at the specific things like the clothes that are attached to yeah all the extra gear etc like yeah 
yeah, yeah. The club memberships, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And 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 the, the decorum even from the like the fans, you know, golf fans and tennis fans are supposed to be quiet while a player is mm, swinging and or serving. And, and yeah, you're, you're like in tennis, you're not supposed to talk at all during the point. Like you're supposed to watch the point and then once it's over, you you politely clap and you know, you, they allow you to like cheer a little bit, but like, you know, uh even in you can see a, a difference in the wake if you really pay attention. The crowds in the US Open and at the Australian Open are a lot louder and rowdier than the crowds at Wimbledon. <laughs> uh, and, and the, you know, it's all a, a direct historical descendant from that. So yeah, they get mad when, when players smash rackets because that's seen as sort of juvenile, um, and, and unsporting that's the underhanded serve. I, one, I don't think I've seen a professional do the cheeky underhanded serve ever. And I've been watching tennis for like 20 plus years. Maybe I've seen it once or twice. Um, but in tennis, you're technically allowed to serve underhanded. Uh, and so oftentimes it's it's basically only done as a very desperate like uh, like gotcha tactic if the opponent is playing really far back on your serve and then you basically give them a little drop shot as a serve uh, but it, it it's very hard to actually get it get it to work and if you fuck it up at all they just get to run up and they have really good position on you um, and, and so I don't really see that that often but I can't imagine that that is actually that would be looked down upon that much that's not on the same level because that's you trying making like a uh, a tricky tactic to try to win the point that stuff is generally fine like in tennis it is absolutely acceptable if like they uh, hit a really soft ball that's high and they're standing at the net to hit the ball directly at them it is yeah. literally to tr- essentially try to hit them because if the ball hits your them they lose the point and, and oftentimes that is a, a better way to go about it because it's harder to get your racket like right in front of you than to either side. You can just kind of guess a side and hope you're right. Um, and so it is very acceptable to do that. You, you have to do, you have to give them like a, a, an apology, like hand wave. Um, yeah. The same thing happens if you like hit the, the net and it drops right over. You kind of raise your racket as an apology so that there's that kind of in- ingrained behavior in, in tennis most of the time. But I don't see the underhanded serve being on that same level. But I imagine there was a certain incident from the recent U.S. Open that he's referring to. I honestly didn't watch a ton of the U.S. Open this year. Um, so I would like to see if, if the, there was a precipitating incident that led to that part of the question. I would like to see what exactly happened and what the reaction was. Because those yeah, two things seem to, very different to me. Yeah, we might have to circle back for this. So uh, the next question, and sorry we didn't get to these sooner. Like I said, Lee McLeod says... What are y'all's takes on the different pros and cons of all the different Cascade decks? Um, and so this this is kind of coming from a spot where, you know, you're seeing a lot in modern right now, people having, like, Chalice of the Void main in a lot of their decks, because it's good enough against some decks, but Chalice for zero game one against some of these decks just stops them cold. It, like, stops yeah. their main thing. Chalice and Void Mirror. Void Mirror got printed, and everyone's like, oh, it's Tron hate. It's actually just cas- it's mm-hmm. it's Cascade hate. Mm-hmm. And f- for me, I think it matters where, like, I actually like the Rhino deck quite a bit. I think the deck is very good. Uh, I think it, on average, has some of the best opening hands in Modern. Like, you just don't mulligan with that deck very much. Like, it just always has, like, a bunch of good, powerful cards that work well together. And then all of your, you know, Cascade cards are really, really sweet. The other Cascade deck that I think of the most is Living End. And I think in the right metagames, that deck is a very good call. And it's one of those decks, it's kind of in the same vein in my brain when I think of modern as like the dredge decks where it'll show up for a weekend, do really well, like win the tournament or put someone in the finals of a big tournament. And you're like, Oh yeah, this just makes sense. Like no one was really ready for this. You know, no one's out there playing Tron and decks that like just 
you know, laugh at it and don't care or whatever. They're out here playing a bunch of creature decks and you just get the shit on them with this deck. And it's really, really good when you do. So it's in that it's in that same vein as me. Is like when it's good, it's really good. Yeah, it's the more polarizing one, the more powerful in a vacuum, the more linear one. It's the one that's more mm-hmm. dependent on resolving its cascade spell, it, it, the, its namesake living. For in. sure. Um, so you open yourself up to different forms of interaction. Graveyard Hate is good against you. Just counter spells are better against Living End than they are against the uh, Crashing uh, Footfalls deck, uh, which often has Teferis if they want to go four colors instead of just Teamer. So... You know, a little bit more vulnerable to hate. That said, the Footfalls deck is... There's a cyborg card it's more vulnerable to than the Living End deck, and that's Engineered Explosives. Just a clean two-man answer to both Rhino tokens. Uh, and so they struggle w- with that, which is pretty common, because it's also just good against Raghav and DRC and that kind of stuff. Um, I, as far as which one is, you know, healthier, I would prefer seeing the, the Crashing Footfalls deck around, because it's more interactive and just playing regular Magic. The Living End deck uh, is certainly a lot less interesting, especially because the for, uh, Modern is so powerful now, you, you can't really get away with winning games by casting the creatures, <laughs> even if they're way better creatures than they were back in the day. And like I remember you know, people winning by casting uh, Deadshot Minotaurs and, and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I've, I've definitely lost games to them just casting the random dorks over and over and over again. I'm like, man, I can't keep answering these three fours and these <laughs> yeah. four fours. Uh, it's, it's a like, lot easier for people to answer them now, even though, like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Curator of Mysteries is way better than Deadshot Minotaur ever was. Uh, just the quality of the, of the rest of the spells in the metagame. So, you know, if, if people are completely unprepared for both, I would jam Living End every time. And if they're somewhat prepared, then the Footfalls deck is probably still good, depending upon exactly how. And if they're overprepared, neither is particularly good. You'd just be better off playing a different interactive deck than the Footfalls deck. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The next question is from Yeoman5. Shout out to Yeoman5. If you don't follow him on Twitter, make sure you follow him or you follow his writing because he goes way way crazy whenever new sets comes out usually puts out about 50 deck lists you know does a bunch of the heavy lifting for a lot of people he does a bunch of streaming and stuff like that so make sure you check out yeoman 5's work if you want to see some some really cool decks with these new cards also congrats to him for making the uh semifinals of the hooklandia open had a very yeah. good run there with a it's a a gruel based you know chariot ren deck but he was splashing black for uh valky uh Imerstrom predator and some uh extra removal so yeah i was actually I was following it, not on video because I, I couldn't watch, but uh, he does a lot of really good Twitter updates with it, you know, usually with like a sentence or two of what happened. You know, hey, this was really good this round, or maybe this card's not great, or this matchup seems awful kind of thing, you know. Uh, his question is, I'm, and this is from last week, I'm listening to this week's episode late, but just got to overrated cards, and uh, either of y'all come around on Renin 7 yet? With a little smiley, cheeky face, tongue out thing. Um, yeah, obviously we have, we kind of overlooked that, right? And yeah. here's the thing that happens a lot. I, I'm going to speak for myself here. Here's the thing that happens a lot with me when it comes to spoilers like this. When I think about cards that I think are good and cards that are overrated and underrated and stuff like that, right? Uh, in the instance of cards that I think are good, it's like, obviously, Renin 6 is a powerful card when you look at it, right? It has a bunch of abilities. It's a mythic planeswalker. It's in what might be the best color in Magic over the last couple of years, and that's green and stuff like that, right? Those are all good. And so my brain does this weird thing where I'm like, I know this card is good. Let me look at everything else. And then I just forget the card exists. You know what I mean? When I'm like going through all this, I just don't even think anymore. And we very last second added it as a possible overrated card because, you know, people were talking about it. And we were like, oh, yeah, we're not sure. And we're like, we just didn't really 
put in enough time with that card and thinking it out. Obviously, we just kind of missed, and we're we're gonna miss those, right? Like that's what's good about doing this as a job, you know, doing these kinds of things, right? Like you want us to have strong opinions, right? You don't want us to just make the safest picks of all time and all this stuff. Like we're going to be right about some stuff. We're going to be way wrong about some stuff, you know, and that's just part of it. But obviously we were pretty damn wrong about this. I didn't realize how relevant the token would be. And just with these decks that are built around it, how good it's going to be at making Ren and Six relevant for multiple turns too. So definitely just a miss on my end. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, I explained earlier why it, the thing that I underrated about it, it was just the 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 value of just making sure you make your land drops even on turns six, seven, eight, nine, um, ends up being really valuable. Especially when you know sometimes the lands are end up being worth a card if they're creature lands, uh, and then the double spelling and, and all of that. So you know, we we come around. And and I, you know, even when we were saying it was a little overrated, it's not like I we thought the card was bad. I just thought you know it was a fine card but not a great card, and you know we're off. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, we'll try to do better next time and not miss the obvious busted mythic. Um, before we get on to, we're going to do a little bit with time. Do we, yeah, we, we can do a couple overrated, underrated here as we're falling behind on that level too. Before we get to that, I want to make sure that we, you know, you hear about our sponsor we mentioned at the beginning of the show, and that's Barrister and Man. Make sure you check out their stuff at barristerandman.com. Lots of really cool gifts for you or that special someone in your life or that special someone in your family. I think it's great gifts. You know, we've got the holiday seasons coming up really soon. I mean, I, I, I cannot believe we're about to end September. I, all time has lost meaning to me during this pandemic, Ross. I just don't know what's happening anymore. And I I like it and I hate it. I'm going to be very busy over the next couple months. Like, I have to travel a ton and do a bunch of stuff. So time's going to be real weird for me. But make sure you check out barristerandman.com and use the code MTGRANTS for 15% off at your checkout. So make sure you check them out. And uh, I will say, you want to do a little bit of uh, overrated, underrated before we get out of here? All right, I'm going to scroll up to the top of the list. I was at the bottom for some reason. Uh, Cathal says Popper Cubes. I'm going to say underrated because I like to like really play the games out. And they're really powerful cubes. They're, it's fun to do the broken stuff, but I actually want to like play the games out more often than not. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Popper Cubes. I think Popper is the best way to cube. Uh, bar none, it's one of my favorite formats you know, ever. Um to me, when you when you are drafting a a powered cube or like a legacy cube, you're building constructed decks, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is kind of yeah. fun. You're like drafting constructed decks, but the, the popper cubes end up feeling a lot more like limited. It's a little bit grindier, um, and, and uh, you know you're playing. You're still playing with cards that you remember if you've played a lot of limited in your life, uh, and even so, you know a lot of them are constructed, you know, playable cards as well. So. Um, it ends up just having a very different feel to it, but a much more limited feel to it. And I honestly think that that increases the playability for me. I think there's a little bit more flexibility in what you do. Um, I don't think the, the, you don't have to be as, uh, devoted to the archetypes that are supported. I think you can get a little bit more creative with it. And that's the most fun part of limited to me is is that deck building aspect. So I think popper cube is underrated because it is awesome. Hmm. Uh, Variance 28 says two Burts. I actually, I know what this is, but I don't know what it is. If you get so, what I'm saying, like, you don't have to explain it too much if you don't want to, but I know it's from Ryan Erberturf. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's a, it's a something, it's a brain baby of his, so it has to be underrated because he's, it's, it's just a two person cube. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, I, I just don't know how it works is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, I well, it, you it. literally, dra- you, I think, he, I don't know, like you, you draft the smaller packs and it's a smaller cube, but it's small enough that you can draft with two people, and like it's still interesting. All right, so, the Mountain Goat says blue collar jobs. 
Um, so I, I don't like to make this huge distinction between blue collar and white collar because white collar often like what, what it's, what it's generally meant to do is create this divide based on income level, which is also, um, uh, overstated in this discourse, but it, it's come to generally separate like clerical work, office work, um, from like manual labor and like manufacturing work and things like that. Um, and, uh, the, like ultimately, you know, we're, we're all workers. There is some differences that, that need to be clarified, but this, I think ends up, um, like this kind of terminology and this framework ends up, um, missing a lot of the, the subtle differences and creating differences that aren't there. So I don't really like the term in general. There's also the other side of it is, uh, it's really initially led from Mike Rowe and the show Dirty Jobs, where it was meant to sort of glorify, you know, the salt of the earth working class people doing, you know, weird jobs like working in the sewage plants and, uh, and shit like that. Um, and Mike Rowe is a shitty human being. And the end, of, the end of that discourse was like, we need to support people going into these fields more and, you know, not have everybody forced to go to college because that doesn't work for everyone. And, you know, we should, you know, have high schools that are more dedicated towards getting people into trades, you know, getting them into being a plumber or an electrician or, or shit like that. And yeah, like some of those people make, make a lot of money and make good money, but not all of them do. And, you know, and I agree, like that sounds very difficult and people should have that option. But the real reason people are mad at the path of college and how it's been forced down our throats is because it ended up it, it ended up being turned into a scam. So we all got told that, like, in order to get a good job, you need to go to college because that's how it worked in the 1950s, because only rich people went to college and rich people, the rich kids all got good jobs. Um, and so they, you know, all the finance, all the finances and financial aid shit got manipulated. Um, and we ended up, you know, b- creating this mountain of debt so that everybody could go to college. And then of course, like not everybody's going to get a good job once everybody gets into college. That's just never going to happen. So there's never going to be a solution under capitalism that gives everyone a good job because the capitalist system requires there to be an underclass of people so that the people that do have jobs are afraid of losing them and are willing to submit to the whims of their bosses. So like, you know, however, whatever framework you want to use to analyze why some jobs get paid more than others, like the ultimate reality is that the system is incapable of providing a decent standard of living for all people, regardless of what line of work they're in. So I just think it's a, that entire terminology and the discourse surrounding it is a distraction from the actual issue. So overrated. Yeah, that. Uh, Various <laughs> 28 says the marbles. Um, probably they're, they're properly rated, right? You know, it's a fun aspect of the show. I enjoy doing it. People talk about it a lot. I think that the audience probably cares about it a little bit more than we do, but that's the way it should work. So properly rated. Okay. I mean, I don't really get to, you know, play for the marbles. Yeah. This is much more of a me question than a you question. Exactly. Uh, all right. Uh, really bad at crazy house. I think it's their name. They say preordain. I'm going to answer this one quite a bit. I think this is one of the most underrated cantrips of all time. I think this card is very, very good. I don't think it gets played enough in Legacy or didn't get played enough in Legacy during the time where it really should have. 
because of the fact that uh, as the game progressed, especially in like Del like back in the day when it was just like mono Delver mirrors and it became a Jund matchup uh, after sideboard, actually Preordain was like one of the cantrips that you really, really wanted more of because as the game progressed and you got later in the game, you're one for wanting a lot. Preordain is actually the best one once the game gets to the end because it gives you the exact card you need right away and then clears all the other bullshit. Because like ponder late game, a lot of times you ponder and like you find a card that you want, but you have to keep the other two now. And if you don't have a fetch land or way to shuffle your deck, you have no way to clear. And and then everyone knows the problem of brainstorm as the game goes on. It gets worse and worse as you have less cards in your hand. So you have to play a little differently. Like you have to sandbag a land or, you know, pay the alternate cost of days when you could have just cast it because you want this land in your hand for a brainstorm down the line. Yeah, I completely agree with you that it is underrated. My evidence is a little clearer, and it's because I've heard people argue that it should be unbanned and modern, and that's ridiculous. And they're just, they're yeah. just wrong. That just tells right. me that there are people that don't understand how good preordain is. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm going to let you answer this one first, and then I'll, I'll come in. Uh, Leo the Magic Man says, Taco Salad. Uh, overrated. Um, like, I, I don't... I, it's not bad when it's good, but I'll be honest, like... It, it's not as good as when there's a tortilla involved. And I get, like, you know, people want to be low-carb, though often taco salads are served in, like, fried shell, which has to be even worse. Um, but, like, it, the, the tortilla is the the basis of Mexican cuisine. Without it, it, it just ends up not being as good. So, uh, overrated. Uh, I'm going to read a poem here. And I say a poem because uh, if anybody is as old as I am, do you remember uh, the Real Men of Genius commercials that used to happen? It was mostly on your. It was in your car. Uh, you would get. You would get. Uh, you'd you'd hear them as like a commercial on the radio kind of thing, and they would be like, "Today we salute you." Uh, blah blah. And they would just say something random. It's like a, I think it was for Bud Light or something like that. It was for some. It was for some yeah, beer. I, I vaguely remember these. But in one of them, they saluted the the giant taco salad inventor. And I'm going to read it real quick. Cause I remember loving this as a kid. I haven't <laughs> read it in like 20 years. So I'm going to read it real quick. It's up today. We salute you, Mr. Giant taco salad inventor, a culinary invention that baffles the human mind, a 12,000 calorie salad, ground beef, refried beans, guacamole, cheese, sour cream. And if there's any room left, lettuce. So <laughs> some may ask, is your taco salad healthy? Of course it is. Is it? It's a salad, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> so crack open an ice, <laughs> ice cold Bud Light, uh, conquistador of the calorie, and put your feast in fiesta. Or whatever. Like, I remember <laughs> as, when I was a kid, I was like, "This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. This is hilarious." I love the line of uh, "If there's room, lettuce," because we all know taco salads. It's literally just a massive. It's like way worse for you than like practically anything oh, else. Oh yeah, on the menu. there's all this sour cream and shit. So uh, I'm saying underrated because they're fucking great, and I love eating a salad out of an edible taco bowl thing. You know, because they make the bowl for the salad. It's like the actual shell of the taco. So I, I love yeah, that yeah. shit. But it's don't like eat a, them more than once a year. You might have a heart attack though. It's like the fried tortilla. I don't like the. Yeah. Just give me. I just need a tortilla. Yeah. Tortillas are uh, great. So someone uh, right at that cathol says Tex-Mex versus Mexican food. Tex-Mex is generally fine at best. It's kind of meh. It's like, you know, white people Mexican food. Uh, actual, like, Mexican food, pretty damn great. If you can get, like, more authentic stuff, I like the, the meat selection a lot better. You know, obviously you don't run into that as much anymore. The tortillas are generally handmade and a lot better. And just, you know, everything about it is generally better. And I will say this. Mexican food is pretty much the pinnacle of food. So I'm, I'm pretty I'm pretty heavy on getting the good yeah. stuff. Yeah, it's definitely Mexican food over Tex-Mex. Like real Mexican street tacos with just chopped onion, cilantro, and a squirt of lime. 
uh maybe some pico if, if, if you're feeling uh feisty saucy. yeah feel yeah. saucy um <laughs> uh, you know so de- definitely mexican over tex-mex my the defining factor for me is oftentimes tex-mex just comes fucking destroyed in cheese and like yep. I, yeah. I don't do that. I'm not one of those people that's like, you can never have too much cheese. Keep putting cheese on it. You can definitely have too much cheese. That's the biggest difference between Tex-Mex and Mexican food is yeah. like the amount of cheese you get. Because a lot of Mexican food like doesn't actually have cheese on it. Yeah, it's like maybe a little uh, queso fresco or stuff uh, like some that. Some of the more solid cheeses. Yeah. But like shredded cheese or melted cheese covering everything, that's not a Mexican thing usually. Yeah, that's a, te- that's a Tex-Mex yeah. thing. And, and uh, so yeah, Mexican yo- food for sure. Yeah, Yeoman 5 says chorizo, massively underrated. Chorizo and egg is like fucking phenomenal. I think chorizo is properly rated. Like I've, n- I've yet to encounter someone that doesn't like chorizo. Like maybe they just don't don't know it exists. That's what I'm saying. Is the fact that yeah. it's like it's not as prevalent as it should be. I think prevalent's a good word there. Uh, is why I think it's underrated. Yeah, uh, chorizo drink- is really yeah, good. But I want to remark that if if we were talking about underrated sausages, my vote, my I would have two votes. One is for merguez which is a North African spiced lamb sausage. It's incredible. Sure. And the other is for Chinese sausage. Lap chong is so good. You know oh who you sound like God. to me right now? I just recently started watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and one of the characters in there is like a big foodie. He's like, <laughs> There's an episode where he just, like, he just talks about random sausages and loves a bunch of like crazy sausages, and you just sound like that character to me right now. Wh- which character uh, is it? Uh, Jake's best friend, the, the weird dude. God, what is his name? Boyle. He sound like Boyle. Yeah, I've been compared to that guy before. Yeah, <laughs> Joe, yeah, I've heard this before. Joe Mr. English, I've, I've, I've heard this before. I've heard this. Joe Mr. English says queso dip. I'm gonna go with slightly overrated because it's a, it's overcosted, and b, like you know, it's a lot of dairy. Yeah, it, it's I, I think it's definitely overrated. Uh, it's also like you, it has to be hot. So like when you order mm-hmm. queso, like you have to eat it really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, like once it gets cold, like, it it's so bad. and gets all weird. Yeah, yeah So I, like, I'll go for guacamole or a good salsa before I go for for queso, even at a restaurant. Absolutely. I think that's gonna wrap it up for us today. Uh, we've done quite a bit. I'm getting, I am starving now after these last couple answers. I really need to get some food. I need to go take care of my dog and stuff like that. So uh, we're gonna leave y'all at this point. But make sure you check out the next episode that will be coming out next week. We'll have some cool stuff going on there. Maybe even. Uh, we got some special guests lined up soon, so we'll make sure we get some of that stuff going on. I uh, don't want to spoil it now. Uh, a, don't want to spoil it. B, you know, they might change your mind, so we'll see what happens. Ross, if people wanted to hear some more stuff from you, where would you go? Uh, best place is my Twitter. I am at Ross Hunnids. Um, a good place to keep abreast of all of my magic comings and goings. Also a good place to just shoot me a question. I uh, can't promise I will get back to you immediately, but I try to get back to people as often as I can and as quickly as I can. Uh, then there is my written content for Star City Games. As I mentioned earlier in the show, this week's article is all about the things that I learned from the you know two weeks of preview season playing on Versus Live, trying out a lot of different decks. Uh, and you know those lessons are things that I'm going to carry forward into my big picture understanding of you know how standard works. So uh, if you want to ha- you know kind of wade through some of the gray area that happens in these early weeks of standard, that'll be a good article for you. It's live now. Uh, then there is Versus Live, the web show I co-host twice a week with Corey Baumeister. We're on the Star City Games uh, Twitch channel, which is just uh, Twitch slash Star City Games. And uh, we're there Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, You know, playing whatever is relevant. So we've been doing a lot of um, Innistrad Standard, but we're now moving into a little bit of Innistrad's impact into the older formats. We did a modern show today. Uh, I 
we're hopeful to, uh, and we're at least going to pitch to do Modern and Pioneer next week as our two shows. Not sure what order they'll be in, but as long as Cedric is uh, approves that, uh, that'll be our plan for next week. We do encourage you to watch live because we have a good time and we take questions live from the audience. You can ask me and Corey things uh, and, and we answer those, you know, between games or during lulls or whatever. Uh, but if you can't catch us live, you can find the VODs on the Star City Games YouTube channel. Uh, those uh, go up the day after the show, so Wednesday and Friday instead of Tuesday and Thursday. By the end of the day, they'll be up there. And then finally, my uh, my stream, I've been delayed in getting that together. The softball league has taken a lot more time than I expected it. I didn't realize we were going to play two games a week. Like I'm, I'm li- I literally have a game in two hours right now. Like That's what I'm doing. I'm eating dinner and then going to play softball. But, Jealous. Um, so I've been a little bit delayed in that, but I do. Pr- it's, it's coming back soon. And if you want to give me a follow... Um, you know, in the meantime, so you get a notification when I start streaming again, I am, uh, Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Tannen, if people want to hear your dairy free takes, where, where might they go? <laughs> uh, you can go to Twitter under the Tannen Grace and Twitch under just, uh, Tannen Grace. Make sure you check that stuff out. Make sure you check us out on Twitter as well. Give us a follow on there. Get in our discord. Uh, lots of cool shit going on in there and shout out to all the patrons at home. Y'all are great. Anyway, we'll see y'all next week. 